right, folks, grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. We're inching our way through the Gospel of John. We're going to start in verse 16, go through uh, verse 21. We'll read these verses together. John chapter 6, verse 16 through 21. Let's read. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him to the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is God's word. The adage is, life is hard and then you die. Y'all ever heard that? Life is hard and then you die. And that really is, it has become the, the cynical slogan for a, a worldview. Many of us, perhaps some of you in this room, have that perspective of the life that, that you live in this world, that you live a hard life and then you die. And when you have this perspective, this is how life is. Things don't work out the way you want them to. Relationships are difficult to sustain. You get sick. You worry about the economy. You get old. Uh, job loss, hair loss, natural disasters strike. On and on it goes. But then it gets worse. You die. Life ends. And this is what I would agree with in that life is hard. The, the, the world that we live in has some hard things about it. And because we live in it, in fact, we're the ones producing much of the hard things in, in this world. But from a Christian's perspective, what I differ with in, in this, uh, this way of thinking is firstly, when you die, if you're a Christian, you know where you're going. Okay, Your, your end is, is destined to be with Jesus forever. Uh, the other thing that I would uh, encourage you or challenge you to think about is if you're a Christian, actually, life may be hard, but there's a purpose to the hardness of your life. Could it be that God is actually behind those things that we call trials and suffering and hardness in this life? Could it be that he even brings these hard things into our lives to help us grow? And that's what really what we see in this in this text today. Specifically, we see Jesus sending those closest to him, those those 12 uh, disciples uh, that will be called the apostles. He sends them into a storm uh, in a lake and he's going to teach them a lesson. And I'm going to I'm going to end with several lessons that we get out of this passage. But here's the overarching lesson. And, and it's simply this. Our salvation does not stop. It doesn't cease after our conversion. We should see God working through all of our life to strengthen us in our faith. And that really is what's going on in this passage. Last week, we, uh, we covered uh, another miracle. We covered uh, Jesus feeding 5,000 people. Um, 5,000 people were just the men. If you, if you add the women and the children that were likely there, there were likely of, there were probably 10, 15, maybe even 20,000 people there. And so this is a, a true, blue, blown miracle that no one in the world were able to do unless you're God. Uh, the narrative last week informed us that uh, a crowd of people saw the sign that Jesus, I mean, they recognized, man, this is a special thing that Jesus is doing. He took a little bit of food and he was able to feed this, this huge crowd. And what they did was they immediately wanted to make him king. 
Now think about this. The, the Jewish nation, ever since 586 B.C., when the southern kingdom of Judah was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and, and Babylon, they've been dispersed. They haven't been uh, one nation in control of themselves since 586 B.C. And so by this time in the first century, they're under the, the rule of the, of the Romans. The, Roman, uh, you know, the Romans control most of the, the Middle Eastern area, especially Palestine. And what they're looking for it's the same thing they've been looking for all these many years. They want, uh, they want uh, someone to come and to provide for their needs. More importantly, they want someone to, to come and overthrow the, their oppression, they, their oppressors. They want, uh, they want a king. And when they recognized that Jesus not only could do the, the miracles that he had formerly done, but he could provide for their basic daily need of giving them food, there's like, this guy is the one, let's crown him king. And so the text that we're looking at today starts on this notion that Jesus, knowing they were going to force him to be king, backs away, he goes to a mountain, he's right there at the Sea of Galilee, and um, before he does that, he tells his, his disciples that have been with him through all this, this little stretch of time here to, to get in a boat, go across the Sea of Galilee, and meet him on the other side. And that's what's going on. Verse 16. But when evening came, his, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And so this is just the, the setting. They're at the Sea of Sea of Galilee. I'm going to talk a little bit a couple seconds from now about just what that what that territory was kind of like. I don't know why Jesus waited until it was dark to uh, to to have them get in a boat and then go across the sea. Uh, that was Jesus own doing. We don't know a lot about the boat, but apparently it doesn't say Jesus told him to get into several boats. It says one boat. And so uh, Historians like Josephus from the first century tell us that boats at this time could be, you know, your small uh, local fishing boats to, to things that we would call a, a small ship that had masts and sails. And, and, and these things were prevalent during, uh, during the first century. So very likely the disciples got into a boat that was big enough for all of them to fit in with whatever gear they had. And they were to set out in the midst of the dark uh, in the evening. Uh, across the lake and get to the other side, and Jesus had intention to, uh, to meet them over there. Verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was, was blowing. We'll stop there. Uh, in the night, they encountered, they encountered a storm. Um, Andrew and Peter are fishermen. Think about this. All right, so these are the people in the boat. There's a storm, um, but you got some fishermen on the boat, and so you got to think about that in context with what's going on. Uh, let me show you a picture of the Sea of Galilee. This is located in a depression some 700 feet below sea level and ringed by hills. So the hills on the other side is, is Mount Hermon. Um, this is the lowest sea in the whole entire world. There's no sea that's at, at a depth of, of below sea level than this, um, which makes it interesting ge geographically because it's surrounded by hills. And so when you take the, the, the effect of, of what's going on in the air at Mount Hermon, which is at about 9,200 feet above sea level, and that air descends at one of the lowest points for a lake on the earth, then I'm not a weatherman, but I think those two air masses, cold air and warm air, 
uh, interact, and it can cause violent storms. And that is the, the, the essence of what was going on with this particular storm. It, it just came all of a sudden. It, who knows if they had weathermen that predicted the weather and, and, and didn't predict it right like we have nowadays. But whoever was looking out for these gentlemen getting in that boat at that particular time, they weren't concerned with the weather. And we, of course, we know that's Jesus. Um, Andrew and Peter are fishermen. So are James and John, the sons of, of Zebedee. And so when you think about a storm coming on a lake with fishermen in the boat, the first thing you don't think about is, is well, it says it's a violent storm, and at some point we are told that they get a little nervous and frightened, frightened for their death, almost akin to what we see in the Old Testament book of Jonah. And what I know about sailors, I've got a couple of you in the congregation here, is sailors don't get, they don't freak out about storms on the sea, right? Rain and a little storm and thunder won't scare a true sailor in the midst of a storm. But what does get them a little a little nervous? The wind. The wind, because the wind is what turns all this stuff up. And that really is what the text is alluding to. There's a lot of symbolism here, but one of the first things that we should see is this boat is providing a picture of, of our lives, you and me. John is describing the Christian experience in the world, especially uh, the Christian experience in regards to our trials. In verse 17, he says, it was dark. So I, I want you all to raise your hand. Anybody scared, afraid of the dark? So true story, uh, I was elementary age. I think I was, might have been seven or eight. And uh, one of the most vivid experiences from, uh, from my childhood, this is going to be too much information, and I don't want you to judge me. But you know how some kids have a, a, a prolonged, one of those prolonged experiences of wet in the bed? So like, that was me. Um, but I had an excuse. And so one of the, it was dark in my house at night when we went to bed. I don't know. You you help me understand that. And in my childish mind, uh, I always imagined that there were alligators in my on my floor. So I couldn't even get out of bed to put my foot on the floor. And so sometimes I went to bed because it was dark. Maybe you have a, a story like that that you would be unafraid to tell in regards to you being afraid of the dark. The second thing is uh, in verse 18, John says the sea became rough. And so imagine yourself. You're in a small boat. Uh, the seas are rough. You're being tossed about so that you're in distress. And I mean, you're concerned for your life. That really is the, the lot that was going on. And these are fishermen. And so this is not hyperbole. He's not exaggerating it. There was something going on that would make these seasoned fishermen who were used to the water um, kind of uh, afraid for their lives. And that really is what changing circumstances do for us. Think about when stuff is changing all around you. And you can't explain it. You don't expect it. And it just comes on you. And that really is the essence of this storm. When change comes on us like that, unexpectedly and unwanted, we, we, we get afraid for our health and for our livelihood and for our relationships and things in our family all at the same time. And that really is what's going on here. But here's what the Bible tells us in regards to uh, trials and storms that, that happen upon us. Acts, Acts, 10, Acts 14, 22. The Bible tells, uh, plainly tells us that we will experience such trials. Uh, Paul says, uh, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And that's not for a singular group of people. That really is for all of us. As we press into uh, the, the world that God would have us to be in, his rule over our lives um, through eternity 
tribulation are, uh, are a part of it. So as we begin just looking at the text, right up front, let me offer you three reasons why the, the, these disciples had to endure this storm. And I think it's also why we can expect and should expect uh, to endure trials as well. The first is the nature of the environment that we live in. The nature of the environment that we live in, meaning planet Earth, your you know, right where you are geographically, the family that you live in, the job that you have, all the things that you experience in life. That's the nature of the environment that you live in. The Sea of Galilee is by nature a dangerous body of water. It's at the lowest level that it can be on the earth for any sea. It's surrounded by very high mountains. And um, width-wise, it's, it's 8.1 um, miles apart. Lengthwise, it's 13 over 13 miles apart. It goes to uh, upwards of 145 feet in depth. Okay, it was, it's a formidable sea that right today uh, provides all, most of the water for uh, much of, of northern Israel. And so it's a, it's a, a gargantuan geographical body of water. And the effect of the wind adds to the danger of this lake. And so the truth is many uh, outside influences paint a picture that the, the world we live in um, is, let me put it this way. You know, some people go through life not aware of how dangerous the world that, that we live in. If you, I, I, I'm an avid news watcher. I watch the news almost every night. I'm looking on my, on my, my phone, just trying to catch up. If you would turn your news off completely, then sometimes we can go through life like it's like it's Disney World, like it's an amusement park. Y'all ever, I mean, ever seen anybody like that, that they're just naive about the world they live in. They think that it's it's this big, fun place that I can do anything I want. Some other people have a different perspective. They think, they think that the world's a big shopping mall. Uh, it's this big place that I can go and... Uh, I have people who are waiting to serve me and give me what I want just for the asking. I think the world perhaps is like the Sea of Galilee, at, you know, during a storm. Uh, it, it's turbulent. It's unexpected. And if you aren't careful, it, I mean, it could swallow you. And so we could look at the world in such a way that we would have a false sense of, of what's going on in the world but really what John is trying to give us this perspective of is that sometimes, uh, the, sometimes the world that we live in is like this. It's calm and it's, you know, and it's peaceful at moments, but then all of a sudden it's, it's rough, it's stormy, and anything can happen. In the Old Testament, uh, a turbulent sea, a sea that was disturbed by, by wind and storm and, and, and rains, it was, uh, it was called, uh, they, they likened it to the world and sin. This is what David says in Psalm 39, verses 1, 14 through 15. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth on me. What was David likening the water to as something that was able to overwhelm him, overwhelm him at any moment? And he was asking God, you know, save me from, from this huge thing that has power that, that, that I'm not able to overcome. So the second uh, reason why these disciples had to endure this storm is because Jesus sent them, uh, Jesus sent them into this storm. And perhaps you don't have this perspective of, of God. And, uh, you know, put your, put your fingers in your ears because I'm going to I'm going to ruin your theology if you believe that. Uh, I, I think stories like this, narratives like this in the Bible, 
give us the, the perspective that this is part of our calling, that, that hard times, trials, suffering, tribulation, storms are part of the calling of the Christian life. I think it's also true. It's Jesus expressed will that his disciples should be tried by difficulties. Emphasis on that you should be tried by difficulties, not just the disciples that we experience here in this narrative, but the disciples that serve him. So, so you in this room that serve Jesus and follow him even today. I think it was his will for uh, for them to take that trip across the lake in that boat and for this storm to come about. One scholar says it like this. He says, trial is part of the diet which all true Christians must expect. And so many of us look at that and say, well, don't give, I'm not, I don't want that kind of diet. Give me some other kind of diet. That's not the one I'm, I'm subscribing to. I think what J.C. Ryle, who, who made this comment, means is it's, it's one of the means by which God's grace is proved to us. Of, of course, a trial isn't a means of grace, that thing that's, that's bringing us closer to God or making God, the experience of God more real for us. But I think it does prove what's in us. Is it truly of God as we live out life in this world? I think it's important to note that, you know, this storm, come the, the, the narrative and how John tells us this storm comes immediately after he had just had this high experience of providing um, you know, food for thousands of people. And so I think the picture that we're supposed to get here is, you know, God gives us high highs, but then sometimes he gives us low lows. And the two are supposed to work well together. In the high highs, you remember how great and how generous God really is. And the low lows give us perspective on life. They, they humble us. They keep us from pride. And the thing about the lows is it's most important because sometimes if God would not give you lows, you wouldn't appreciate the high. But if he doesn't give you lows, then in your high, I mean, we can live in our own strength if everything is going right. And so God gives you a low, a low period in life, a storm, a trial, something hard that you have to depend on him. You have nowhere else to go except on God, to, to depend, depend on God. That, that's what he's doing here. All right, so first reason, um, it's the environment we live in. The second reason, uh, Jesus has them endure a storm because Jesus sent them there. The, the third reason is, is very close to it, and uh, it's less obvious, but definitely as important as the other two, and it's because they obeyed Jesus' command. You know, these disciples, they weren't asking for a storm. They weren't trying. They, they weren't trying to get themselves into trouble. They were just doing what Jesus told them to do. He said, hey, get into a boat, cross the Sea of Galilee, um, go before me to the other side. And he, they expected to meet him at some point on the other side. Uh, for those of you, few, a few of you in here that were with us about this time last year, we were going through the Old Testament book of Jonah. And there's many lessons that we learn in the book of Jonah. But one of the lessons, uh, one of the big lessons out of that Old Testament book is, is that God sends some storms to chasten us for disobedience. You know, it's true that if you're truly following God, uh, God expects you to obey. And when you disobey, sometimes God brings difficulty in your life to, to shake you a little bit, to remind you of of your faith, to remind you of the direction that you're supposed to go, uh, to go into. And we see that throughout the whole life of Israel. Now, we're not saying that the, the, the life that we live 
in, in God now is, is one of following the rules and, and blindly obeying and not one of grace and faith. That's not what I'm saying. But Jesus even says, uh, you know, much in his writings, those who love, those who love me, will you do, you'll obey my command. So they were following Jesus' command. And sometimes we get this perspective that um, if something is happening in my life and it's bad, then I'm out of God's will. And, and I'm not saying that might be the case, but let me give you uh, another way to think about that. I'm going to give you three characters. Uh, firstly, Moses. You know, Moses had a, a very difficult job. God called him to deliver the, the Israelites out of slavery, uh, out of Egypt. And then in the midst of the wilderness, they started complaining and bickering and griping because they had life. You know, all they were in slavery, they had everything they needed in Egypt. And Moses brought them out in the middle of the wilderness. And it's true. If Moses hadn't simply obeyed God when he said, I want you to go and lead my people, then he wouldn't have had to put up with the, the complaining and bickering of, the, uh, of his own Israelite people. A second character would be Daniel. Uh, Daniel is noted because he went into a, a fiery furnace and, and God delivered him. And think about this. If Daniel had not been faithful to God, he wouldn't have had to go into that fiery furnace. If, if, he, had, if he had just dismissed God altogether, he wouldn't have had to endure that storm. And lastly, of course, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, probably one of the most persecuted Christians in, in all of the, the, the scripture narratives that we get in the whole Bible. If, if Paul had just stayed a Pharisee, if Paul had become a Christian, just stayed in Tarsus and started a local ministry, he wouldn't have had all the persecution, you know, all the things that he talks about that threatened his life as he tried to extend the gospel uh, to Jews and Gentiles around the known world. It was through obedience that Moses, Daniel, Paul, and a host of other uh, great, great pillars of the faith um, came under storm and trial. They were obeying God, and God brought difficulty in their life. But, but here's the perspective we should take out of that. If they had not simply obeyed God and gone through the trial, they wouldn't know the, the, the sweet communion that they had. They wouldn't have been used by God in a great way that they all were to, to give us the faith that we have now. I think, um, I think this stuff is necessary. And so here's the question for us in regards to all this. What do we do when we face trials? What, what can we see in this passage in regards to getting, getting through a storm when it comes upon us? Either stone, something that we can, we see it brewing in the distance, or some, more importantly, something that just like happens upon us and it just takes, I mean, it just takes our breath away. Um, what do these guys do? I mean, they kept rowing. You see it? They, they didn't stop in the middle of the sea. They didn't put their paddles down. They didn't jump over into the sea and just trying to start swimming back. They stayed in the boat. They hunkered down. They probably worked together. Maybe they, I mean, they might have like bickered each other out a little bit, but they stayed in the boat and they kept at it. They kept rowing. And so they were following Jesus' command. And Jesus had told them, meet me on the other side. I get that. Out of the, there's, there's several, uh, there's three other renditions of this, of this particular uh, narrative. So there's one in Mark, Mark 6. And there's one in Matthew, Matthew, uh, I think it's Matthew 14. So, uh, the, you know, when you're looking at one narrative and you, you only have a few things, 
you can look in the, the same uh, narrative in the other Gospels and sort of fill it out. And so that's what I'm doing with you this morning. And so imagine yourself. There's a violent wind blowing against the boat. You've got this fierce wind blowing in your own face. It's slowing your progress. They've lowered the sail. They've taken it off the mast. They're rowing. They're rowing. They're rowing. And they're getting nowhere. And so this is what we see in verse 19, the first part of verse 19. They had rowed about three or four miles. According to Matthew's rendition of this story, um, they were still a long way from land. Okay, And so they're going to, to uh, Capernaum. I don't know if they're going from, from east to west. That means they would have had five more miles to go. Or if they're going from, from south of the Sea of Galilee all the way up to Capernaum, they could have had like eight more miles to go. In, in, either, in either regard, it's the middle of the night, and they got a long way to row. So pay attention to what they do. I mean, do they give up? Do they just like just throw everything aside? Lord, we give up. Let's just stop rowing. They don't do that. They could have done that, but they don't do that. And I think here, this is what I want to get across to you. You know, sometimes in the face of difficulty and discouragement, it's just easy to give up. I mean, what what difficult issue are you going through in life right now that you're just on the brink of, like, I can't take anymore. I don't think I have another thing in me to, to give to this one particular thing. And, and here's a storm that could have taken their life. And, they, and if they had given in, they had just stopped rowing. They could have capsized, turned over. Uh, perhaps they would have, you know, at best case, they would have ended up on some other shore or they might have been in the middle of the boat, tossing and turning, just uh, making a circular motion until the storm ceased. Fortunately, they didn't give up. God wants us to pursue. He wants us to, to persevere. He wants us to be consistent. He wants us to trust and obey. And, and if he doesn't provide situations where these things are required, how will we ever develop those kinds of muscles, those kinds of muscles where we grow to be fervent in prayer, that we are exhorted, as Paul says in Galatians 6, uh, to, to not be weary in well-doing, because if we don't faint in due season, we'll reap. Don't give up. Verse 19, we looked at a part of this verse, let's look at the rest of it. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Um, I think one of the easy things to forget in this, this narrative is that not only were some of them fishermen, but uh, think about it. The guy writing this passage, this, this narrative, he was on the boat. John is not writing us from uh, a third person or a, second, uh, a second-hand experience like Luke does in his gospel, although John writes in the third-person plural. I mean, he was on the boat, and so he's intending to give us the story of Jesus as it as it portrayed. But I think more importantly, John is helping us. I don't know if he's doing it overtly, but he's definitely helping us get some lessons that they learned as disciples of Jesus when he was walking the earth. One of those lessons is the lesson of fear. That's what we get out of verse, uh, uh, this section of, of verse 19. So the disciples are out at sea it's at night. They're in a storm and they're only there because Jesus commanded them to be there. I mean, they have no other reason. I mean, they could have walked back to Capernaum from dry land, and it just taken a little bit longer time. But he told them to get into a boat. And if you were this close with Jesus at this point, and they had been with him for at least a year, probably a year, a year plus at this point, I mean, you would have been wor- uh, wondering this. I mean, where, where in the world is Jesus? 
I mean, did he leave us? Did something happen? Are we in trouble? Have, have we done something that's, that's made him not want to come and, and actually be with us as he said he was going to? And, and this reminds us of those times that you may have felt uh, you've been in trouble, in a storm, just a difficult part of life is, is happening, and you feel like you've been abandoned, just left with nobody there to, uh, to come to your aid. We can identify with this and the fears that it surfaces in us just because we're human. In their case, um, I mean, where was Jesus? I told you at the beginning of, uh, of my sermon, Jesus was actually on a mountain. And so we learn that in, in Matthew and Mark's gospel. They actually say that Jesus, uh, after he fed the, the 5,000 men, the 15,000, 20,000 people, he went to a mountain and he was praying. And so he, here's how we should see this. Jesus uh, probably went to a mountain to be, you know, to be with God, to, to regroup, to, to get re-energized as he communed with the Father. But Jesus is probably watching. He's on a mountain near, uh, near where they would have gone on shore and entered the boat. And he's, as he's praying to God, he's also looking at his disciples, um, bringing this storm about, seeing how they're going to react. I mean, all this is going on. At the same time, he, he, he likely is watching them, measuring how this trial is going to strengthen their faith. If you can handle that. And I think the same is, is true in the storms that we live out in life, especially if you're a believer in, in Jesus. In our fears, you know, we often feel alone. We doubt God's presence. We think, does God even know what I'm going through right now? We ask this question, where is God? And the truth is the same thing for us. Now, he's not on a mountain anymore, but where is God? He's, he's in the heavens. The scripture would tell us he's at the right hand of God, and Jesus is interceding for us constantly for all those things that we would endure. The writer of, of Hebrews says that Jesus is a great high priest. He, he's like the priest that comes and, um, and mediates between God and, and man, except Jesus serves both as the priest but he also serves as the perfect sacrifice that, that appeases God, that atones for, for our sin. And so that's what Jesus is doing for you. He's watching you, with, but he's also offering prayers of deliverance for you. The second thing, um, the second lesson I think that it's good to see here is Jesus comes near to help. And we see this in the, the latter half of verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the, bo- coming near the boat. You know, it's one thing to have a friend that, that's a distant friend. They're a really good friend, but now say you're military and you're, you're, your closest friend lives somewhere else. And they call you up on the phone. They might send you some money if you're in distress. Uh, they may write you a note that's encouraging. I mean, it's another, another thing to have a person that, that's really close to you right there near you. To, to be there with you, to comfort you with their words, and you hear the words, and you, you feel the tone and the inflection of their voice. They might even be there to, to comfort you physically with a hug and embrace. Those are, those are special moments. And that's what this scene is like. Their friend, their soon-to-be savior, uh, was, was distant. They, they knew they were supposed to meet up with him. They didn't know when it was going to happen, and he shows up. Shows up all of a sudden, and of course, immediately, uh, they would be comforted by that. I think that's why the incarnation, the, the, the doctrine of the incarnation is so important, because it says that God 
who is transcendent is also imminent. It says that God, who, who can be far away, comes near. And in the incarnation, when God, the second person of the Trinity, becomes man in the person of Jesus, we see that Jesus puts, I mean, he puts our skin on. He walks our roads, eats our food. He does all those things that we do as people in our world. And, and the, the way that, that theologically, the, the way that we should see God as coming into our world is called condescension. A God who, who really is far above all that we can ever imagine lowers himself to the level that he would suffer the same things that we suffer. Honestly, he suffers more because in our place for our sin, he goes to the cross and he dies for you and for me. And so John says that when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water, they were frightened. I, I mean, um, Matthew says they thought they saw a ghost. They thought Jesus was a ghost. And I can just imagine, just, yeah, I mean, a boat full of dudes, and it, it had to have been a comical scene, freaking out and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't until Jesus spoke uh, that their fears were relieved. In verse 20, it says, it is I, do not be afraid. And then verse 21 continues, then they were glad to take him into the boat. I think the lesson here is that, you know, it, it's God's word that produces a calmness in our soul. I mean, the, the, the Bible is supposed to have that effect to you. It's supposed to have that calming influence over you. If you pick up your Bible and just read it, it's supposed to transform your mind and also soothe your heart with, with words that come from God himself uh, for you, for his people. It's through the scriptures that we grow more familiar and intimate with the voice of Jesus. He's speaking to, to us through the words of scripture. And we're invited to know Jesus, that he's near, and to recognize his willingness to be near us, especially when we think we're going through difficult circumstances. All right, so the third lesson is is simply this. Uh, It it deals with Jesus' appearance. Um, In Matthew's rendition, he says it was the fourth night, uh, fourth watch of the night. That's in Matthew 14, 25. That means it was somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. So check it out. These guys are they got into the boat early evening. It may not have been, uh, it was probably barely dark, and it's already three to six, six o'clock in the morning. And so they're frustrated, they're tired, they're probably frust- uh, bickering with each other. There's a storm brewing, and I mean, none of them wants to be there. Someone once said, uh, This is a gospel song, black gospel song. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. I'm probably the only one in this room who heard that song. You heard it? All right, there you go. Another song says, he's an on-time God. I listen to, I mean, this is what I grew up on. I listen to these songs all the time. And theologically, y'all are laughing, theologically, those songs are right. They, they sound kind of traditional, don't they? But they're right. Um, you ever notice how, I mean, plenty of you have testimonies in this room of you needed God and you needed him to show up right now. And he, was, he wasn't early, but he was there right on time. And that really is the way God works. He's, he'll work like that in your life because he's trying to grow you. He's not trying to, to be your, your soda machine. You put coins in, press a button, and out comes the soda. God's not a vending machine, but he does. He, he immediately answers our prayers but they, the, the manifestation of your answer comes 
when God, God wants it to, not necessarily when you expect it. The last lesson focuses on Jesus' power to overcome our problems. Um, this is a miracle. Okay? Jesus is walking on water. And I mean, who can do that but God? This is the fifth sign. There's seven signs in John that John is using to, to show Jesus' deity, that Jesus is God. And so what John is, is proving to us by showing Jesus walking on the water, and interestingly, no one sees this but those closest to him. But because we have the, the testimony of John written in the, the timeless words of our Bible, um, we also know that uh, no one could do this but our Lord God and Maker. No one could actually um, transcend nature um, like this but John. Are there, are there myths and stories of other people walking on water? Actually, there, there are, but they're myths. I mean, you try it. Go out, go out now, find a body of water, start walking on it. See what happens. You're going to sink. Mark's gospel says, um, Jesus got into the boat with them and the winds ceased. Jesus has power to still whatever kind of storm that rages against our lives, and he can speak peace into our hearts. And I don't know, that those are comforting words, especially if right now, whatever you're going through in whatever part of your life, it might be a difficult time. Jesus can speak comfort to the storms of our life. Um, I, I think one of the prevailing lessons here is that sometimes our greatest need isn't to be protected from the storms of our life. You know, we, we cry out all the time, God, just save me from, keep me from this, uh, protect me from it. I, I don't know if that's the, the lesson that we're supposed to get is, uh, out, of, out of this one particular, uh, particular narrative. I, I think we're supposed to see the divine nature of Jesus. Um, I think we're supposed to understand the truth of who he is and understand that uh, sometimes God grows us through our struggle. He grows us through the things that he brings us through. Uh, Peter was on the boat, and I think later in Peter's life, he came to, to grips with this. He says in uh, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though, it tested, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. What, um, what is Peter saying? He said sometimes difficulty is necessary. Trials teach us the lessons of grace. John concludes uh, his, this part of his narrative with, with this, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. That's verse 21. Uh, it's not clear if this was a different uh, miracle. This, this might have been another miracle. Jesus might have teleported that boat as soon as he got into it, and immediately they were at Capernaum, uh, exactly where they were supposed to be. It could also mean that with Jesus in the boat, uh, John is, is, is sort of giving a, a comforting end to the, the harrowing story, is that we made it safely to the place we we're supposed to go. We don't know which one it is. I think it's a miracle. I think it's like Jesus got in the boat and, you know, Jesus didn't want to mess with it. He's like, all right, let's get to dry land. And that was it. Um, and that's pretty cool. Here's uh, my concluding thought. Uh, I'll finish with this. If you belong to Jesus, if at some point you profess faith in Jesus, then you are in his, his faithful care, storms and all. And so uh, this episode in the disciples' lives, it, lives is recorded in three of four Gospels because Jesus wants us to, to learn the lessons that they learned. 
He he preserved this so that we would see the difficulty the disciples had and gain faith knowing that we can have similar trials and storms and not know what to do in it. And he will that 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 a God who is transcendent will be will be near. And so if you're a Christian here, be comforted that God is always interceding for you. He's always near, even when you think he's not. If you're not a Christian here, then this is a very appropriate narrative uh, to find your life in as well. You're pictured as a man in the boat. You're in a storm of life. If, if you're not going through a hard time now, at some point you will. And, uh, you know, Scripture proves out that all of us need a Savior. And, and oftentimes we use our money and our affluence and our status to, to protect ourselves. But um, you can't take that stuff with the grave to you. You also, I mean, at some point, that stuff begins to fail you. And so these disciples, although they were in dire straits, they had something they could, they could hope for. And their hope was in Jesus. And although it didn't seem like it at the time, he was watching over them. He was tending to them. He was testing them for sure, but he came to their aid. And so if you're, uh, if, if you're not a Christian, I mean, wh- who do you have to come to your aid? Salvation, the essence of salvation is that God comes to a people that don't deserve him, but that need him all the more. We, uh, we have a holy God. We're sinners, the Bible says. And the only way that sinful people can be reconciled to uh, a holy, transcendent God is that we have a mediator. And so in this story, Jesus was a mediator. He mediated the storm for some people who were in distress. And that's what he does in our life. He mediates the storms of our life. He dies on a cross in our place for our sin to to bridge the gap between us and a a faithful, holy God. I would commend you to to him. If if your life is a storm, I would commend you to God. I'll finish this. Uh, It's a very appropriate song for us to finish on. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let's, let's, let's find our refuge in God. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we look to you when we're overwhelmed. Give us vision to see things like you do. Surely, Several of us here are going through difficult times that the human life is plagued with it. God, we pray that you would not give us a perspective, um, the perspective I started with, the analogy of uh, life is short, then you die. There is truth in that, but for the person who trusts the Lord, there is something that, pre- uh, that, that follows death. It's eternal life. So Lord, would you would you speak eternal life over our congregation? Would you take those here who have yet to trust you as Lord God, Savior and King and bring their dead souls to life? Would you renew those here who've lost faith because they've been in a storm, maybe a perpetual storm of life? Would you show them that you're watching over them from afar, that you're um, interceding for them that you're standing by to deliver them and that you're, you are an on-time God. You'll, you'll be there right on time. Give us perseverance. Give us faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.